Welcome to 7 Seconds or Less, a podcast about the NBA and the Phoenix Suns. My name is Max McCauley and I am joined as always by my co-host. His name is David Nash. David, how you doing, man? I'm doing good, Max. It's great to be back again pretty quickly this time and the Suns kept to the challenge. I think we threw them down to end last episode. Another very interesting week and lots of fun stuff to discuss. Have there ever been two consecutive podcasts about the Suns uh, while they're playing that were positive, David? <laughs> I'm not too sure, but I, I'm sure the people that do the whole podcast round of Suns podcasts are, are loving the positivity coming out of all of them at the moment, I would imagine, Max. It's hard not to be positive right now because the Phoenix Suns have been so far very, very good. And we're going to recap that season so far. Uh, we're going to go through the lens of the last two games, but we're not going to uh, do just do full recaps of the games, especially yep. since one of the games not much to talk about. We just kicked Golden State's ass. Uh, <laughs> but we're going to use the framework of touching on kind of what has and hasn't surprised us so far this season. In other words, what we got right and what we've gotten wrong. And then, of course, we're going to rank our top performers in our new seven seconds or less leaderboard segment, which I think has gone over pretty well, David. It has. We have a lot of people to give shout outs to uh, in a little bit of time uh, for taking up the the offer there and, and creating something that's uh, a lot bigger and better than just the two of us giving our votes that'll probably give a, a pretty good result at the end in terms of who the best Suns players have been for the season, Max. So yeah, I'm excited about that one. Yeah, so am I. And if you haven't started doing it yet, feel free to join. Uh, it is not something where you need to start at the beginning, like fantasy basketball or something. Uh, <laughs> and then we'll get into some general NBA stuff. We're going to talk about what surprised us each conference so far. Um, in particular, in the West, we'll talk about you know, whether the window's been open for the Suns, David, it's getting interesting. It is. But before we get into any of that, David, how about a recap? Sure, Max. It was another short week with just the two games. As you said, we had the 95-96 to loss at home versus Utah. Devin Booker had 21 in that one. Kelly Oubre had 18. Rubio almost had a triple-double against his old team with 10, 8, and 10. And Javon Carter had 15, 4, 3, and 2 and was the spark plug mm-hmm. in that one, Max. And then the 121 to 110 win over Golden State, which you referenced before. That was at the new Chase Center away from home. Book had 31, 4, and 5. Baines had 24, 13, 7, <laughs> and 3. Rubio had 14, and 7. And Dario Saric, he's got a habit of doing this, Max, just throwing one good game in there uh, per week at the moment. Hopefully we can get a little bit more consistency from Dario. But he had 16-9, 5 assists and 5 steals and was pretty impressive in that one, Max. But upcoming we have at Memphis, uh, probably by the time a lot of people are listening to this. And then a giant homestand. So we've got the 76ers and Miami uh, in the week, probably before we podcast next. But a question for you, Max. Mm. It's a huge homestand. Philly, Miami, 
Brooklyn, LA, Atlanta, and Boston. Wow. How are we feeling about this homestand in general? I think it could be a pretty uh, interesting little seven or so games, uh, or six at home, It should I should say, um, that will kind of set up what you were alluding to before about whether we actually do believe this team or not. Yeah, I was going to call it illuminating. I think it's going to teach us a lot about what this team is. If we come out of yep. that entire stretch above 500, I'm going to feel really good, especially if it's a couple games above 500. But, you know, I think, and I know I'm, this is my first uh, Nate Duncan reference in a while. People hate him. It's Buhis. But uh, <laughs> he had said something on his podcast today where, you know, the Suns look really good. Their metrics are very good right now. They, they look awesome. And he's like, it's five games. If they do it for another five games, that's when I'm really going to take them seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of the way I look at this homestand, too. If After this homestand, we're still looking at them similarly to how we're looking at them right now. It's going to be time to take them very seriously. Yeah, I agree. And we can't mention Nate Duncan without... Uh, mentioning his preposterous tweet from the <laughs> Stephen Curry injury, which I thought was quite funny. But as you said, it's only been five games as of the 2nd of November. The Suns are 3-2, and two, which uh, sadly puts us at third in the division at the moment, ninth in the conference, but 13th in the entire NBA, which we will get to a little bit later in the episode in terms of uh, some more disparity between the West and and the East, it seems, that doesn't seem to be going away anytime soon. But no other news, really, for the week. We haven't got an Aiton update yet in terms of uh, any t- sort of appeal or anything. I know you've got some opinions uh, on that. I've kind of said on the podcast before, I guess, the quietness from the team and, and their initial uh, press release around that. I don't think, you know, I think they're planning for it to be the full 25 games, but... You know, a possible backup might be on the way as well. Not that we currently need it, Max. What do you know about that and and when that might be available to the Suns uh, in your understanding? My understanding is that once a player is suspended for five games, that's when you get a suspended player exception. Yep. Uh, So we can be able to bring somebody in. I don't really understand why you need to wait the five games. I guess it's because an appeal could possibly bring it down, but then you could think the exception could just vanish at that point. So I don't really understand why the rule works that way. Mm. But, uh... At, such as it is, but uh, I don't know. I'm not really that, you know, it's going to be important to have big man depth, I think, if we have an injury, but I don't think this is that important of a spot right now. I mean, check, they, they could just cut check Diallo, right? And then get somebody who can actually play, maybe, if they wanted to. <laughs> that is very true. I didn't even think about that. But uh, yeah, it, thankfully, fingers crossed, knock on wood, it's not something we need to look at right now because, yeah, the rotation seems totally fine uh, and it would just be a, a, a real backup scenario in case of injury which uh, yeah thankfully hasn't hit yet Max but that's it for the recap and news section this week I think we can dive right into our main section of the pod yeah I think we can one real quick thing before we do though on the Suns record three and two it's so funny to think about that record because if you told us that before the season that we were three and two after those five games we would have been over the moon, happy about it, regardless, just to have that record. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, they, they not only have that record, David. They're number one in the league in net rating if you exclude garbage time for cleaning the glass. Mm-hmm. They mm-hmm. the two losses they had were Denver, at Denver on their home opener by one in overtime, and uh, by one against Utah, in which they were outshot at the free throw line by an insane amount. And you know, obviously there was controversy there. So the losses they had were like incredibly justifiable losses. David, it's been an insane start. It is. I'm glad you mentioned that because it, it kind of illustrates how ridiculous those 
preseason win total things that we kind of come up with are. <laughs> I, I ran through a, a schedule just for watching games for myself over here and when I was going to be able to watch games live. And, and while I had that all in front of me, I thought I may as well, you know, try and predict how many wins the Suns might have. And, and the funny thing is I actually had them at three and two just with winning hmm. different games. I think I thought they might get Utah in that one. Um, and and predicted a couple of the other wins that they had. So it's more the nature of the games and the nature of the losses that probably has us more excited than just looking at the three and two, as you said, Max. Absolutely, and that's why when you look at point differential, which is really what everyone should be looking at. Not early on, it's a little bit messed up because you know one blah can totally throw it off. Yeah, there's plenty of noise. Exactly, but later in the season, point differential uh, definitely matters more. And I believe these Suns are second in the West in point differential behind the Lakers. So I think that shows you a little bit more about, you know, how they're actually playing right now. But uh, let's go ahead and move on to our segment here. So, David, let's start off with something you feel like you've been right about so far to start this season. Yeah, interesting. Uh, Let's go with Aaron Baines. Okay. Don't want to bury the lead here, Max. He was... uh, Phenomenal this week in general. He's been phenomenal stepping in for DeAndre Ayton. Not something that we, I guess, expected Mm -mm. to have to happen at the start of the year. But I believe I predicted him uh, in our predictions pod with Sam from the timeline where we ran through just some random uh, awards and things. I predicted him as, you know, being the guy that we look back on as the best off-season acquisition Mm -hmm. at the end of the year. Funny thing is, we probably, or I definitely was leaning into the fact of of what he was going to do for DeAndre Ayton as well as what he was going to do as the backup five on this team. So from that standpoint, he's gone over and above what we well what I expected that's for sure but you know in his four starts he's playing 25 minutes which is around where I'm comfortable in playing he's got 16.3 points max on 56% shooting and 38.9% shooting from 3 at the moment mm. 7.5 boards 3.5 assists to only one turnover which is the surprising one for me he's defending the paint 1.3 blocks And four free throw attempts per game, which we may not have been seeing if DeAndre Ayton was playing, Max. So uh, that's the big one for me. Uh, A bit of a humble brag for my fellow countrymen, but uh, (laughs) I said he was good. I said it was a better option overall than a guy like Rashawn Holmes. uh, And I look right so far, Max. You absolutely do. And, you know, Rashawn Holmes has been pretty good for Sacramento so far. The key here, though, is that for this particular situation, the Suns needed Aaron Baines. And that's what you and I were saying. We don't dislike Rashawn Holmes. Rashawn Holmes is a good player who had a lot of good moments for the Suns last season. Yep. But for what the Suns needed, Aaron Baines was exactly exactly right. He was the piece, uh, the piece that fit. We didn't know he was going to be you know, the epitome of Monty Williams, move the ball around, shoot, <laughs> big white guy offense. But we did know he was going to be a good uh, role model for DeAndre Ayton, and I wonder if he's still going to kind of be that from afar. Like, David, what do you think about this? I've been thinking, like, DeAndre Ayton's going to be watching these games on TV, presumably. I hope he is, at least. He's going to be seeing what Aaron Baines is doing for the rest of this team. Don't you think that's going to, like, show him kind of like when he comes back, hey, maybe do a little more of what this guy's doing? Exactly. And this is probably the biggest discussion that's happened about our son's vets from the past to now, you know, think about what everyone has spoken about, Max, and, and how much of a difference it makes when the vets are actually doing, you know, what they say on the court and the young players can see it happening. And yep. I hadn't thought about it that way. I think it's a great point by you that Aiton would be watching these. He'd be sitting in the film sessions as well with the team after the games because he's not banned from doing that. He's literally only banned for, you know, 
four hours, two hours before the game starts and then the game itself and everything else he can still do with the team. So yeah, he's seeing it. It's not just the practice stuff that we talked about Bane's teaching him and, and showing him on the court. Now Aiton's actually seeing all the little unselfish things that Baines does, uh, you know, contributing to the team winning. And, and hopefully that is rubbing off on Aiton, as you say, you know, whether it's the hard screens, whether it's taking a hard foul, you know, he's almost fouled out of all of these games. I'm not saying that's necessarily I want to see Aiton do when he comes back, but <laughs> Putting a guy on his ass, I think I said a couple of episodes ago, just to set the tone a little bit and, and be aggressive. And, you know, the three-point shot is obviously the biggest difference between Baines and Aiton right now. And we're really seeing what that can do for the offense overall. So, you know, I said, you know, it's only a short amount of time, six to eight weeks or whatever, but hopefully Aiton is uh, building on top of that off-season work and, and really working on the three-point shot because just being a threat to shooter, I think, is going to be... Uh, the biggest um, adjustment for the Suns to make back to Aiton. You know, he's not going to come off the bench when he comes back. It's just not going to happen, no matter how well Baines is playing. So we're going to need to, you know, see the least amount of change when he does come back. And for the better, you know, with him adding on top of what he can do that Baines can't. David, David, are you sure there's no chance that the Suns are whatever they are when he comes back? Like... Say they're 17 and what is the math there? Nine or whatever it is when he comes back. You think there's no chance that Monty brings, at least initially, has Aiton come off the bench for Bane? I would be very, very surprised. I think he's going to be on a short leash. I think we could see him, you know, subbed out within three minutes if he's not doing the things that Aaron Baines gave to this team. Um, I just think, you know, and maybe I'm wrong, Max. I think, you know, I think you make a great point and and probably what you're alluding to is this team doesn't give a shit about what everyone else thinks that they're doing. We saw that throughout the whole offseason and and thankfully through five games, all our Suns fans are getting to gloat just a little bit about some of those predictions and grades that were given to the Suns in the Mm offseason. So maybe, maybe, just maybe, they make a decision for the better of the team on the court uh, and go with Baines, at least to start with, as you said, when, when Aiton's getting himself back and acclimatizing. I guess Aiton would be a pretty uh, dynamic sixth man to come off the bench, Max. Yeah, that's kind of my point, too. I don't think that, you know, we're not going to be in March and Aaron Baines is starting over at Aiton. I just mean initially when they when they first get back, just to kind of ingratiate, you know, uh, Aiton back into the lineup slowly. Yeah. Yep. Um, because it's going to be a harsh thing. You made a great point there. I mean, Baines is not this good of a three point shooter, I don't think. Like, he's been shooting like six or seven, eight threes a game. That's not typical for Aaron Baines. Mm-hmm. But, you know, he is a three point shooter. He's shown that over a couple of seasons. So I think that's that's going to continue. And I think that uh, the, the point you made that's been very important to what they've been doing, the fact that I, I joke constantly that the three big white guys who shoot. Um, <laughs> but it, it's true. I mean, it, it really matters. That's why their offense has been good. It's a large part of it, at least. Uh, so I think it's going to be harsh to go back to Aiton. It wouldn't shock me if uh, Monty decides to do that slowly. And that actually that takes me to my first one, which is that Monty Williams was the right coach for this team at this time. Uh, they just needed someone who was going to motivate them, David. It, it, it comes down to that. Uh, most of these players, well, I wouldn't say most of them, a lot of these players are very young. Uh, young men in general can be listless sometimes. They can be mm-hmm. hard to get to do the things that you know as an older person they should be doing, but it's hard for their young minds to understand that yet. They'll look back on themselves 
you know, as older men and be mad at themselves. I know I do that. You probably do that too. Everyone does that. <laughs> yep. Um, and Monty Williams is someone who can get through to these guys. I, you know, I, I still don't know if he's a better tactical coach than Igor, although, you know, whoever's doing the defense this year is better than whoever was doing the defense last year. I can tell you that right now. Agreed. But he's definitely a guy who's gotten these guys playing hard. Um, they're playing as a team. They all have the same goal. We've made this point a couple of times. Like, you know, it doesn't seem like a bunch of guys out there doing their own thing. You don't have Josh Jackson just careening around. You have everybody, even Booker, really playing within the system. You don't really see Booker taking, trying to take over games, you know, as an ISO player uh, very often. Yep. Um, it, it's really awesome to watch, and I don't think it's possible without Monty Williams' personality, David. Yeah, I very much agree. I've loved just about everything that's come out of Monty. Uh, I've also loved a lot of the on-court stuff. You know, we kind of predicted it, that he was, you know, yeah. far too removed uh, with that New Orleans head coaching job to be judging him on mm-hmm. what he was going to do there. And, you know, we alluded to it on the pod, some of the places and towns that he'd been since that head coaching job was going to hold him in good stead to come back a, you know, a more dynamic head coach. What he brings off the court, I think, is exactly what this team needed. And, and you're right. I'm glad you brought it up. It, it was the right move for them to make once they moved away from Igor. You know, I've avoided this a lot. A lot of people have asked me about it. Um, I got a couple of questions about it during the week as well. And, and really all I just said is that I think that Igor would love to coach this team on the court as well. But, you know, there's different coaches for different situations, I think is the best thing to um, take from this. And it doesn't mean that one's better than the other or anything like that. I think it just means that the Suns got the, you know, they, again, saw the position that they were in, um, you know, wrote down what they thought that they were looking for and what they needed and, and went out and got the guy that they thought uh, was perfect for that role. And I think, at least to this stage, only five games in, but all of preseason and training camp as well. We're definitely seeing uh, the respect. The Suns are still the youngest team in the NBA, and he's doing this with playing some of those younger pieces as well. Even though we do need to note that he's got a lot of better, you know, a lot better older pieces on the team as well. Um, but yeah, I think it's a great point by you, Max, and and something um, worth declaring as being right about because you know, and I was a little bit more apprehensive, I guess, um, as um, an Igor lover, but you were pretty um, steadfast from from the top that they would had probably made an upgrade here for what they needed. Yeah, it just comes down to the fact that NBA coaching a lot of times comes down more to motivation and ego management, things like that, that it comes down to X's and O's. It's just the way it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and not to say that Monty Williams has not been good with X's and O's, because I agree with you. Uh, so far this season, I think he's been very good. Mm-hmm. Um, I measure generally how much I like a coach by how uh, how often or not often I get really mad and frustrated <laughs> with what they're doing. And it's been few and far between. There was a little bit early on um, with him, although a lot of that was Javon Carter related. And then as we'll get to, uh, I may have been wrong about that. <laughs> but uh, really his rotations have been good, I think, largely, David. I like the lineups he's trying. I think he really, I think he understands what's going on in the modern NBA better than a lot of people gave him credit for. Mm-hmm. And then the last thing I want to touch on, and then we'll go to your next one, is that uh, James Jones, you know, I'm not sure he's a good GM yet, David, but I know for sure he knew what ailed this team. He knew exactly what ailed this team, and he knew how to fix it, and he did that. And as we touched on before, wasn't afraid to do so no. based on what people were going to say or you know how he was going to get judged. And I'm glad you ended by bringing the both of them up there because I think Jones has got 
a lot of credit in the last few weeks from Suns fans for what he's put on the court. But I think Monty deserves a lot of credit too because, you know, losing your franchise center after one game is a pretty big adjustment from what everything you've been doing in training camp. And I touched on this with Igor. I thought he had the worst luck and was really poorly supported by the team. You know, losing Booker for training camp, you know, there were various other injuries throughout that just meant that they never got into a groove. And, you know, a very similar thing happened to Monty. Again, granted, he had better you know, reins to pull and pieces to put in in replace of Aiton. And, you know, some would even say we're, we're better pieces right now for what the team wanted to do. Having said that, he still made the adjustments and, and kept the team rolling after what was, you know, a pretty shocking revelation that, that hit us all after that game one win. But, you know, he's a leader. We said that from the start, and that's what leaders do. And maybe even a more impressive one, David, was when Rubio went out on the second night of a back-to-back against arguably the best team in the league. He somehow was able to motivate the guys to play on that second night without Rubio, uh, with Javon Carter starting, and win the game. That's that's something, 100%. Yep. Couldn't agree with you more, Max. All right. Let's hear your next uh, thing to gloat about. Uh, I don't know if this one's so much as a gloat as just what I've seen, and particularly probably the Utah game being fresh in my mind, and then I guess the Golden State one where they worked a little bit better together, but the staggering of Booker and Rubio, I still think we're right on that one, and I'm not going to let up on it. Mm. Even with Carter playing the way he is, I think he plays himself into the idea being even better playing with a guy like Devin Booker, but you you look at that Utah game, they tried to take turns down the stretch, and they both ended up turning the ball over. Um, you know, they need to establish who that kind of closing guy is, which is one point. And then I just think Booker's too good without Rubio at times to not look at it uh, for the better of the team over the full 48 minutes. You know, a lot of people see this conversation, they go, hang on a minute, we were clamoring for a point guard for four years for Devin Booker, all of a sudden we've got him one and now you want to split them up. And it's not so much about that for me. You know, if, if I was doing the rotation, I'd still have them playing together a lot as well, but it's about having just a really great playmaker on this team, uh, and we might get into this with one of my admissions with with point book stuff a little bit later, but it's just having one of them on the court at all times and, and how good that's going to be for the Suns. And, you know, Booker's on off with Rubio at the moment. It's a little bit noisy with a small sample size, but he's shooting a hell of a lot better from the field. His three-point makes are up, his turnovers are down, and he's a plus six overall versus a plus three when he shares the court with Ricky Rubio. So I just think we need to look at this a little bit more, Max. I I think I really hope the coaching staff is thinking about it a bit more. I totally agree with you. And to respond to the criticism you got that, uh, you know, that we've been looking for a point guard forever and now we're going to split them up. Part of the reason why we were looking for a point guard wasn't just that it wasn't really even to help Devin Booker in terms of his own game. It was more just to take some of the load off Devin. Exactly, Booker. exactly. I, that's what we were looking for, and I think Rubio is you know tailor made for that. You put ta- uh, Rubio with a bunch of shooters around him. That's what you really want. I think Booker and is Javon Carter is going to be able to shoot the way Javon Carter has been shooting. Uh, then he's kind of the perfect guy you want with Evan Booker, right? You want the ball in Booker's hands. He's good with the ball in his hands. He's a great playmaker. He's also a great isolation scorer. He's he's really a, you know, I like how they're running some of these actions for him now where he's off ball. I think you need to use Booker in a lot of different ways. Yeah. But you can't lose sight of the fact that Booker overall was probably more value with the ball in his hands than not. So I'm, I mean, I'm 100 with you on this. Obviously, I, I mean, I think they should stagger them as much as possible, especially if Javon Carter keeps up what he's doing. 
Or if when Ty Jerome comes in, he is good right away and can kind of do the secondary playmaking shooting thing Mm -hmm. that Carter's doing alongside Booker. He may not be the defender Carter is. Although I would say, you know, Carter, I like Carter a lot. We're going to get into Carter later. I think Carter has earned himself a role. I do think the defense of guys like him tends to get overrated just because they, you know, they look like they're trying really hard on defense. And they do make a lot of plays. Don't get me wrong. Carter is a very good defender. The issue is that he's six feet tall or whatever he is, yep. not a versatile defender. <laughs> yep. I think in some instances, Ty Jerome, although not athletic at all, can be better in certain matchups just because he's whatever he is, 6'4", six, 6'5". Six, yep. um, that's a bit of a aside, though. Overall, totally agree with you. Um, I think we're probably going to see more and more of it as we go on. I think, you know, Monty, as he probably should have early on, wanted to have his best possible lineups out as much as possible. Mm-hmm. But as he gets more comfortable with his whole roster, he's already comfortable with Carter, obviously. I think he's going to do more and more of that, uh, of the staggering thing, and I'm, I'm excited to see it. Yeah, and I think, you know, just touching back on Monty, you know, we've seen with that adjustment with losing eight, and they've run a lot of similar stuff, you know, a lot of horns action with, with Booker and mm-hmm. Kaminsky or Baines at the two elbows. And, you know, that's getting a little bit predictable. But again, this is how Monty's adjusted to the big change of taking eight and out. He's gone with what they're obviously very comfortable with as a unit and they'll build on top of that I'm sure Monty is just kind of rolling with what they know right now and and that's kind of ties into why I'm not going to kill him you know too early with with not staggering Book and Rubio because they're probably just going with what they're where they're you know really comfortable right now but you know we saw it in the Golden State game when they played together in that huge stretch you know Rubio hit two open threes when the defense chose you know him as the guy that they were going to leave open and that's going to be so critical to the two of those guys playing together but the last thing I'd say on that is you know again to back up the point that it's not about splitting them up entirely if you look at some of the best five and four man combinations so far it's kind of littered with Booker's name but then in some of them Rubio's there and and in some of them it's not you know it's very small sample sizes at the moment but Mm -hmm. you know Rubio, Oubre, Saric, Booker, Baines which is basically the starting lineup right now is is the best point differential team um, you know with a decent I guess sample size to look at but then you know you you look at some others that I've got in front of me right now you've got Booker with uh, Ubre, Rubio, Saric and Ayton which was the the starting lineup was pretty good but then you know you can look at something like Baines, Booker, Tyler Johnson, Frank and Ubre which has only been you know a very few minutes so far but that's been a positive as well so that's the point here is I just think that for the full 48 minutes they can have a really really dynamic team by splitting the two guys up a little bit. Absolutely. I think you're 100% right about that. I'm excited to see them do that a little more as they get more comfortable. Uh, All right. You ready for my next gloat, David? Let's do it. And I promise everybody, we're going to get to what we were wrong on soon. This is not a gloat (laughs) test. I had this take, I think, first. Zach Lowe popularized it because he has a bajillion followers and, you know, he's smart as hell and all that stuff. (laughs) I was the first one, though. And what I said was... When the team actually was good and its defense mattered, Devin Booker would play defense, David. And he has not been great because he's just not a great defender. But he has been leagues and leagues beyond where he's been in the past. Uh, I think the first half of the Utah game was my favorite from him. Mm-hmm. He was... Uh, I, you know what was great about it was that he was matched up against Donovan Mitchell and he played much better defense than Donovan Mitchell was playing the entire game, but especially the first half. <laughs> yeah. uh, the thing about Devin Booker is he's not athletically limited. We've talked about this a million times. He had one of the best agility lane scores of the past half decade at the Combine when he was there. Yep. Uh, he can get in front of people. He can play defense. He's a little bad off ball. His habits aren't good. 
but he's such a smart basketball player that I think the habits will show up. You know, based on what we've seen already as a 23-year-old in these first five games where he's been, you know, I would say average on defense mm-hmm. so far. Is that fair, David? I think that's fair. I think maybe we could project him to be a little above average maybe eventually. I mean, he's not – he doesn't really have, you know, elite athleticism and he has kind of short arms, so he's never going to be great. He's not making any all-defensive teams. But, you know, in a playoff setting where he's your worst defender on the floor, I think you could be in a pretty good spot, David. I would not be concerned about that. Yeah, there's probably only two things I'd touch on there. I think down the stretch of that Utah game, he was pretty poor, and that kind of alludes to what we talked about in the preseason. That would have been one where they would have looked at both their offensive and defensive you know, execution down the stretch of why that game where they had a six-point lead or whatever slipped away from them. And that's what we're talking about with Book. That would have been one where maybe in the film room they would have showed a couple of those things. And, you know, then your pride's on the line and a guy like Devin Booker in a game that they probably should have won, lost it by one point. All of a sudden, that's what we were talking about where – you know, he starts to go, shit, like, it's not all about me making buckets. Like, if I made that stop or didn't get beat back door there, maybe we win the game. So that's what we really talked about there. And then just the defense overall. I don't know if you're going to throw it into your admission, so I don't want to ruin too much here, Max. But, you know, there's a lot of average defenders on this team, which is exactly (laughs) what you're talking about with Booker is, you know, they're playing within a system. uh, They're very proud on that end it seems and, and want to make a difference so you know there's been a, a bit of discussion at the moment that the, the Suns opponents have just been missing shots and there's definitely truth to that when you look at the numbers but I also think that they're, they're playing where the rotations are making the other team make the extra pass every time and often the ball ends up uh, with a guy that's less ideal than the offense probably would have designed for and that's where a lot of the numbers come through as well Max what's your thoughts on I guess that overarching point with where the Suns' defense currently sits and and how much we can believe it when there's not too many great defenders on the team. This was one of my what are you wrong about. So let's go ahead and handle it here. That's totally fine. Okay. So, uh, yeah, one of my what were we wrong about. And by the way, not just me, not just you, everyone in the world was wrong about that the Suns would be... Everyone thought the Suns were really bad defense, right? Yeah. We thought if the Suns were going to be great at expectations because their offense is going to be incredible... And really, their defense has, I think, been one of the large reasons they've been carried mm-hmm. uh, to this record so far. And I think, so yeah, I, I encourage, again, I'm going to shout out the Dunk Town Podcast again at risk of, of pissing off our listeners. Um, they had a, <laughs> they were asked on a mailbag episode or something about, you know, about the Suns defense and whether it's sustainable. And they had a, a, just a great answer where they broke down everything about it. Very fair, very even-handed. And their conclusion was that it's sort of real. And the reason why is because they are giving up the right kind of shots, right? They're, they're doing a much better job at making sure opponents are shooting you know, bad mid-rangers rather than shooting three-pointers and, and, and two-pointers. Yep. Or not two-pointers, but two-pointers at the rim. Um, they're benefiting from really, really good luck on three-point shots mm-hmm. and on floaters. And a little bit on potentially on rim shots, although you can argue some of that's just because they're defending really well at the rim, because I think they are. I think so, too. But, you know, they're at the 56%, I think is what they said, at the rim, which is would be like the best in the league if they kept that up. So they're probably not the best in the league at the rim. I'd be surprised, especially when Aiton comes back. He's not as good at Baines at the rim. That'll regress a little bit. Overall, though, they're probably not going to be a top 10 defense like they are now. I think they're like 7 right now. Yeah. I think they end up being like 15 or so because a lot of what they're doing is sustainable. They're, they're allowing the right kind of shots. One thing they, they, they brought up was they're fouling too much. 
Um, which, we, I mean, we could all see that. I know we want to blame the refs. We're Suns fans. They're fouling too much. They, and part of that is because they're just not that good at defenders, and they have to. If they're not fouling, they're just going to be allowing wide-open layups. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I think they are benefiting, or uh, not benefiting, sorry, the opposite. They're getting hurt by a bad whistle to a certain extent right now. Mm-hmm. As they get a better reputation defensively, I think that'll get better. So I think there's going to be some regression in, uh, in both ways. I wouldn't expect them to end where they are now. I think they're going to end probably, you know, middle of the league. What do you think? Yeah, I think we just lost maybe six listeners, three for the, uh, <laughs> the the dunked on reference to begin with, and then three maybe more smarter ones that moved over to the dunked on podcast <laughs> instead of us to, to hear what you were breaking down. But I'm glad you, you mentioned that. You guys should listen that. to that after, guys. Listen to that after. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But yeah, you know, I think that's pretty much a, a great way to end that is, you know, an average defense, 15th, 16th in the league for you know some pretty average defenders and and no real standouts other than maybe guys like Mikael Bridges and and Javon Carter who we'll get to in a minute but yeah I don't have too much more to add on that in other than to say I don't think we'll be incredible on that end as the the stats certainly suggest right now Uh, but I also don't think it's all entirely luck as a few people have alluded to outside of the Suns community too, Max. So yeah, I think we can, I guess, use that. Oh, before we segue into further admissions, I had this question for you. Yep. Is Aaron Baines the most important player for the next 20 games, Max? Interesting question. Um, Man, it was either him or Booker, right? Exactly. Oh, I think it just, just because of the lack of depth now. Oh, no, I'm not going to say it. I'm not, I'm not an idiot. It's, it's still Devin Booker. Um, <laughs> but Aaron Baines is... Definitely, I think a, a cut above everybody else, and then I'd say Ubre is the next cut above. And apparently, they can survive without Rubio. We've learned, so I think those three are kind of on their own tier. Yeah, I'd, I'd pretty much agree with that. The only thing that I'd lean to a little bit more, without calling myself an idiot, is I think if it was a, a short-term injury, say ten games over the next twenty games, I think you know there's a chance the Suns could get away with looking a little bit more competent on the court without Devin Booker for a short stretch than Aaron Baines because I think what we were just touching on with the defense a lot of it has come from him anchoring the D I think it would look a lot different if all of a sudden we had to put say Frank Kaminsky in there I think the offense would look pretty much just as good from what Baines does from from that point of view but I think the defense would slide dramatically and I think so I guess my counter to that would be I think we're not it may be hard for us to factor in how much worse the offense would be if Devin Booker wasn't out there yeah true because of how much it Attention he draws like if yeah. if you don't have Devin Booker out there and who would they start? I guess it'd be Rubio and Tyler Johnson. Yep. I mean you, it's just not the same thing. It'd be so much easier to defend this team. Yeah, you're right. Um, you're right. I, even though David, I think we can agree on this. I don't want to find out. <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, and really, I just wanted to highlight it but because before Aiton comes back, you know, I've been saying it heaps with Baines's minutes and stuff. We we just need you know, this group to stay healthy if we want to, you know, I guess, keep up the positivity. But speaking of keeping up the positivity, should we go to a couple of things we were wrong about on top of uh, the defense one that you've already mentioned, Max? Yeah, we probably should do that. Uh, I'm going to start with where I consider myself to be the most wrong about. Um, (laughs) Even though on Twitter, I've been uh, doing the Mia Culpa on Carter, that's not my answer. (laughs) Uh, I was wrong about that, but I was most wrong about, and I would say almost every Suns fan was most wrong about this, was that Frank Kaminsky for the room exception was a bad signing. It was not a bad signing, David. It was a very good signing. uh, Because I don't know if the Suns knew this or not. They probably did, because it seems like they had this in place. But 
Frank Kaminsky is sort of exactly what you want for their system. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's been great. I mean, he was pretty bad in the Golden State game. You know, he's not a great player. He's not elite. He's going to have bad games. Mm-hmm. But overall, just the fact that he draws respect out there, he can make threes. He can also post up a little bit. I don't think he's great at it, but he's good enough where you have to like take him seriously. Yep. Um, he can pass a little bit. He had whatever it was, eight assists in the Clippers game. He embodies the whole, you know, the big guys who can kind of do everything. Uh, which is what's kind of made the Suns' offense run besides the stars like Devin Booker. And I just think, you know, the fact that we have a team option on him for $5 million next year, I mean, if he keeps up the level of play he's had so far this season, he is uh, he's going to be more than a $5 million player, David. <laughs> yeah, I've got a, a wide smile on my face with the reference to that team option because I think, you know, I didn't hate the signing, but I was very much on, you know, you didn't have to do it, particularly if it wasn't a team option on that second year. And now all of a sudden, as you said, the Suns, you know, probably pick up that team option right here, right now, if they could guarantee his health through the next, you know, almost two seasons. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I didn't actually think about that one. I'm glad you've brought it up because even when he's not shooting well, he's racking up those assists. He's playing within the system, uh, has looked decent on defense. Yeah, I agree. Even though I just said, you know, we would we would look much worse with Baines, you know, if he had to start. I think, you know, there's a lot less uh, active um, really good backup centers in the league, and therefore Frank's been able to hold his own, um, be pretty dominant on the boards, which has been a nice surprise as well. And, you know, it always helps when the, the shot's going down too. So, yeah, he provides this team with something that, again, we didn't have in the past. And uh, I think we all need to recognize that, as well as probably recognizing the guy you've alluded to a couple of times that I'll bring up as my first admission here, and that is... Javon Carter-Max, who's currently playing 22 minutes a night when I thought he'd be, you know, 13th to 15th man on this roster if he even remained on it. Uh, He's shooting two threes a game from 4.2 attempts, maybe an unsustainable 47.6% from three, (laughs) although I did see he put up 1,500 shots a day to improve his shot over the offseason. Still a work in progress with the playmaking stuff, though. 3.2 assists to two turnovers, which isn't amazing, but without going into negatives, we just need to say he has been great on defense. I love that video of him trying to pump up the crowd in the Utah game. Mm-hmm. He's really becoming a, a crowd favorite. Uh, and he's a plus 7.7 at home so far uh, for a four positive overall, where he's actually been negative on the few road games that we've had at the moment, which is very noisy just with the small sample. But I just wanted to bring up the, the plus 7.7 at home because I think that ties perfectly in with, you know, the the hometown crowd loving Javon Carter's play so far, Max. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me, actually. He's really becoming a fan favorite. And the thing about Javon Carter, I mean, I still stand by my point that he's not a point guard because he's not a point guard. It doesn't mean he's not a good player. He's just at this stage in his career, really not a point guard. He's not, yep. he doesn't distribute well. Uh, he makes uh, some bad decisions still. He tries to play outside of himself, I think, at times. He takes some you know, some bad shots sometimes. But I don't want that to detract from the fact that, I mean, we both were very wrong. I was woefully wrong with some of my tweets about him, uh, famously, because I got, I got hammered for that, which, you know, deservedly. <laughs> uh, I think the shooting, I mean, he's not a 47% or whatever three-point shooter, and almost nobody is. Yeah. But he does look like a real three-point shooter. Like, I, you know, his shot doesn't look fake. It looks like he worked on it. It looks, it looks good. Um, I heard something somewhere, it might have been dunked on again, sorry, that uh, the, the Suns coaching staff has been saying he's been doing that the whole time they've had him. Mm-hmm. Uh, they trust his shot. Part of the reason I think why he's playing so much early on is because they saw his shot and they trust it. Uh, the defense is obviously great. He made, I mean, 
you know, the Utah game was amazing, David. He was probably the player of the game, what he did in the, to turn that to turn the whole tide of what was going on there. Yeah. Because we were sort of, you know, it was lackluster. The whole game was lackluster. It was kind of a terrible game. But he really sparked us. Not only did he spark us on the run, he also came back in late and hit uh, just a ridiculous three to uh, tie up the game late. Yeah, huge pull-up. That, that was kind of like a star kind of three. <laughs> it's not like a role-player kind of three he made. Um, so I don't have a whole lot bad to say about him. If he keeps up the shooting and he plays defense the way he is, then he uh, deserves a role in the team. Uh, the only bummer for me personally is I want to see Ty Jerome play. Um, but, you know, if Javon Carter keeps up what he's doing, it's going to be hard to not play him. They should. That's going to be really interesting. You know, maybe my guy Tyler Johnson makes way eventually for a guy like Ty Jerome, mm. which that's going to be a, a great mid-season podcast talking about Tyler Johnson's contract if, if this team is doing pretty well without him. But mm-hmm. the only other thing I would touch on there probably is going back to Monty again. I think he made some adjustments after the first couple of games. I don't think we were entirely wrong in what we pointed out that Carter was maybe overexerting himself just a little bit too much with the ball handling duties and I think they just rein that back a little bit and that's why we're seeing the best out of Carter and you know I mentioned it before with Rubio at the moment probably off last season's really poor numbers from Carter as a shooter I think the scouting report is to leave him open if you have to pick one guy and the great thing about him is he's just been knocking you know, down shots. I was actually surprised that he's taking 4.2 a game, but, you know, that probably speaks to the fact that he's often the guy that is ending up with the ball as they move it around, and he's not afraid to take them, and he's making a very, very decent clip of them at the moment. So uh, while he's doing that, he definitely deserves his role in this rotation, Max. Yeah. I mean, the dude can shoot, I think. I mean, I'm ready to declare that, David. I'm pretty sure he can shoot. <laughs> it, just, it, just, it just looks, you know, I, I'm, not, I'm not a shot doctor or anything. I did predict Landry Shamit. But uh, I just, it, when he lets the ball go, it looks like it's going to go into me every single time. Like, I'm not, like, cringing yep. when it goes up. And that's a big sign for me. Confidence is a hell of a drug, Max. It's, it's really maybe the most underrated thing about NBA players. It mm-hmm. matters a lot. Yep. Uh, all right. I'll go on to my next one. This one's very, very early. David, so I don't want to say this is going to be the whole season, but I mean, I am shocked to see Mikel Bridges playing so little. Um, I'm not sure that it's it's tough. I mean, I think when he's been in there, he's been looks pretty good defensively. He was pretty good the Golden State game, mm-hmm. I would say. Um, but man, I mean, I think offensively, it, it really seems like Monty Williams doesn't trust him. And now that I trust Monty Williams, David, I, I, I guess I don't trust him either. Yeah. So I don't know. What do you think? Is, is, is offensively, is he unplayable? Because the way Monty Williams is treating him is that he's sort of unplayable offensively. I don't think he's unplayable. I, I really push back on people that, that are saying that. I think he's not having anything run for him at the moment and he's just kind of filling the gaps I think we touched on it last episode with the Clippers game I thought he was very good did just enough on offense and was very good on defense in that game and as you said I think he made some really great plays in the Golden State game moving the ball playing good defense there was one in particular you know you'd like to think that not many NBA players would do this but the ball was swung to him in the corner he had a wide open shot but Cam Johnson who is basically the guy that could steal his minutes had a better shot and he did not hesitate to swing the ball to what he would even admit is a much better shooter in Cam Johnson Mm -hmm. and that's what I love about Mikel Bridges that's like the heart of who he is is he makes the right play he's not selfish and I just think as this team gets better uh, we're still going to see him play it may only be 15 to 20 minutes a night which is not quite what we're expecting 
But if they're winning games and he's just making all the right plays, I just think he's still going to be very, very valuable to this team going forward. Sure, I'd like to see him hit a few more threes. Uh, I'd like to see him continue to attack because I think in short stints, we've we've seen him do that with pretty good results so far this season. Uh, we're probably, I guess, experiencing what we're not quite used to and we're not seeing these guys that we love play 30 plus minutes a night. Monty's really just deploying them in what he's comfortable in at the moment. Yeah, and that's what he should be doing and we praise it and we are right to praise it. That's what the sun seems should be. You can't be gifted minutes anymore. It's important. Yeah. That said, when he plays, I love what he's doing defensively. He's still, uh, you know, he's he wrecks havoc out there. Yeah. I think that it was a tactical mistake at the end of the Utah game to not have Mikel Bridges out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't really understand why that happened. I mean, I get it. You want to play Booker because he's a star, blah, blah, blah. I would have had Mikel out there guarding Mount of Mitchell if I were him. Yes. That's what I would have done. I mean, you know, I, I get it. He didn't play most of the game. You know, we had the Daniel U. This is kind of a blast of the past. You remember the 2006 West, our Western Conference semis, the Clippers game, game five, when, uh, yeah. when uh, Mike Dunleavy threw in uh, Ewing. I think his name was Daniel Ewing yep. to guard uh, Raja Bell because he was a defensive specialist and Raja Bell drilled the three. That's a deep cut, Max. That's a very deep cut. It is. But, <laughs> hey, but listeners to this podcast should get it, David. <laughs> <laughs> um, you don't want to throw in cold guys to guard players in the big spots. Mm-hmm. However, Mikel Bridges is the best defender on the team still, I think, and I would like to see him at least get played in the defensive specialist situations. But uh, I believe we have one more. uh, What were you wrong about from you, David? Yeah, I'll touch on it very briefly because it really does tie in with the stagger conversation. But, you know, as far as point book believers, I was probably on the lower scale of, you know, really throwing him out there as the point guard. And I just wanted to note that his usage is down, therefore his turnover percentage is down. His assist percentage is actually down as well, but he's still averaging six assists a game, which has also come down just to having a very low assist game uh, in one of the games this week, I believe, which kind of really plummeted that. But his true shooting percentage is actually exactly the same as last year, which I thought was a great little nugget because he hasn't been anywhere near as effective at getting to the line or from the mid-range. No. But the three-point shot seems to be somewhat back, Max, so that uh, is how true shooting percentage works. That's kind of come up a little bit. Um, you know, it is cheating a little bit off the stagger conversation to put it here as an admission, but I just thought it was worth noting because he finally has the pieces and a lot of other people should be making admissions now on that. Now that he has the pieces, all of a sudden I'm seeing people saying, oh, Devin Booker might actually be good. Um, but you know, that, (laughs) that Utah miss as, as much as everything went bad in that game, they had a chance to win it with the ball swinging to Oubre in the corner and that was purely because they ISOed with point book up top Joe Ingles could not stay anywhere near him as he put the ball out in front of him and literally all five Utah players had to sag into the paint Uh, and unfortunately it was Oubre who I think was three of four from the corner in that spot before he took that shot but he couldn't quite make it Max which leads me to my question if we need a shot to win the game with this team with what we currently know rather than what we uh, predicted in the off season. What's the best five out lineup as someone who loves point booker scenarios, Max and yourself, who are the four guys you're putting out there to make sure that there's someone to hit an open shot when Booker passes to them? Ooh, wow. That's quite a question, David. I think it's going to be, Oh my God. Am I going to take Javon Carter, David? Am I going to put him in the backcourt? <laughs> oh my God. What, what happened? <laughs> uh, I think it's going to be Javon Carter, uh, Cam Johnson, 
Frank Kavinsky mm-hmm. and Aaron Baines. Is that insane, David? <laughs> I don't think it is insane because I think uh, I don't have the numbers in front of me. But if you looked at three-point percentage so far this season, I'd say those guys would all be up there. Uh, Kaminsky's had a couple of rough nights, so maybe his overall percentages are a little bit down the leaderboard. But uh, it's an interesting conversation. I think every listener listening to this should have a think about it because I think you know there will be situations where Rubio gets sat and they go with point book just because of how good we've seen Booker be so far this season in that scenario. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm like the number one point book guy in the world at this point. So I'm I'm not going to say that I was wrong about it, but I am going to I want to point out one thing about assist percentage that I'm not sure everyone realizes. Mm-hmm. Assist percentage is the percentage of the assists that you're that you have for your team when you're on the floor. Mm-hmm. So at the moment they signed Ricky Rubio, it was guaranteed that it was going to go down. Yeah. Because Ricky Rubio is going to have a ton of assists, obviously. So that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, overall, I think his playmaking has been very good. He's been asked to do it less. He's still at six a game. Although that was buoyed, I think, by you know Rubio being out for the Clippers game. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think he had 10 the first night. Now, Booker's going to keep it going um, as a playmaker. But I think that him focusing on scoring is important. I actually think... Let me ask you this. I have a question for you, David. Do you think Devin Booker has uh, been disappointing as a scorer this season? No. I would like to see him be, I guess, back to what we saw last year in terms of some of his mid-range touch and getting to the basket. But overall, I would not class it as a disappointing season so far from Devin Booker. I agree with you. I think that maybe I phrased that incorrectly. Do you think he's been like, let me ask you this. What percentage of what Devin Booker's potential you think he is now has he been as an offensive uh, scorer? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, I don't think he's quite the level of what we saw last year, but again, we've touched on it all episode. There's a lot of adjustments going on at the moment. I think towards the pointy end of the year, hopefully the Suns are still in contention. You know, I think we're going to see Booker be the number one guy and we're all going to be pretty damn confident that he's going to be able to get the job done. He's probably had a couple of low games, but look at probably the two... Uh, hallmark wins of the Sun season so far and have a look at how many points he scored uh, and how he got it done down the stretch. And that probably should answer the question for anyone who's thinking a little bit too hard about that one, Max. Yeah, he's. I agree. He's been very good. I, but there's. I think there's some low-hanging fruit for him offensively, like the free throw yep. thing. He's yep. not getting the line the way he can. I think that's going to improve. I'm not sure why he hasn't been challenging a little more in that way. I think, you know, there's still some, uh, I think some, you know, learning pains going on with him and Rubio. Yep. They're learning how to play together a lot. I think as that gets, you know, a little more smoothed out, you'll see Booker get to the line more often. I think it's hilarious how people, uh, I'm, I love you, Chris. I, I know you listen, Chris, you're the best. Devin Booker's now shooting 42% from three. <laughs> uh, I think people, people need to stop freaking out as Devin, on Devin Booker as a three-point shooter. He can shoot three-pointers. He takes extremely hard three-pointers. Even this season so far, David, how many crazy three-pointers has Devin Booker Yeah, made? exactly. So, yeah, I think we'll see, uh, with a little bit more of a sample size, we'll see some of those things even out. But before we move on to our leaderboard, Max, while we're making declarations, yeah. I just want to stand by my tweet that I got killed for at the start of the uh, Golden State game. Uh, I watched the first five minutes live <laughs> and then could only watch the rest uh, on replay and came back to my Twitter with lots of people Uh, trolling me about my tweet where I essentially said that I didn't love the start of the game and uh, I was worried that I was going to come back to a loss based on what I saw. I just want to shout out my seven plays 
videos on Twitter. If anyone listening doesn't go and watch those because they don't have a Twitter account, maybe you could go and have a look at those. But I think I was right, Max. There was no score for two minutes of that game from nine minutes to seven. Dario hit a three, put us 12-10 up. Golden State call a timeout. And that's where we went 28 to one, which was the most fun run of Phoenix basketball I have watched for a very, very long time, where I highlighted some pretty impressive defense uh, that led to some great, beautiful transition buckets. Uh, and that is how I want to end this segment, Max. Yeah, I just, I, I'm glad you mentioned that because I think of, definitely since the podcast has started, but for a very long time now, that has been the happiest I've ever been in watching the Phoenix Suns uh, was during that run. Yeah. And it was like it was like a stunned happiness. Like I couldn't even react to it. I didn't tweet anything. I didn't. I didn't know what to say. I was just completely stunned by what was happening in front of me. Uh, I, my fiance walked in the room at one point, and it was like, "Wait, is that score wrong? Is there a, is there a bug?" In the, I'm not even kidding. That's what she said. She thought that she knew. She knows. You know, she didn't follow basketball. She knows Golden State is amazing, and the Suns are bad. Yeah. She sees that, and she just she really, literally thought like the, the scores got reversed. And I think that you know it was kind of the reaction a lot of people had. It was. It was quite a moment, David. It was really, really fun. I think everyone listening to this podcast enjoyed it. Uh, so, you know, hopefully it doesn't go to shit from here, but uh, we'll always have that moment, David. <laughs> we certainly will. And uh, Golden State have done that to a lot of teams, including us, while they've been the recent team that yep. they've been. So it was even more sweet that it was happening to them in their new building. But shall we go on to our new fun segment, the leaderboard here, Max? We should. So our new segment, uh, you know what, David? You're the one who came up with this idea. You should explain it. I want you to ex- not only explain it, but also shout out everyone who's participated in it because we, we think it's awesome. Yep, I'll do the shout outs first. We've got George, Gene, Kevin, John M, Amon, John P, Scott, Matt, Renting, Jared, Scott C, Eric, Denholm, John Tomes, Chris C, Crack, and Nathaniel. We got way more replies to this than I ever expected when I, off the cuff, said, send me your votes uh, on the episode last week, Max. So uh, essentially, for anyone that missed that, we're doing a 5-4-3-2-1 of our best players for the week. I should explain, there was a little bit of confusion about that with a couple of the guys sending me their votes after individual games. Uh, We did think about that, Max, but we thought just we'll recap uh, the games that we're talking about on each specific episode, and therefore that's who the votes are for the week. So for week two, for instance, that's going to be combined votes for just the Utah and Golden State games that we're talking about on this episode. Shout out to Hunter Smith as well, who helped me come up with a a Google Doc to track this a hell of a lot more easier because there's a lot to log in there as well. Uh, And I guess you threw it out before, more than happy for new listeners to jump on board even if they missed week one, you know, but we're, we're hoping that guys consistently send their votes through week to week. So we get a pretty consistent uh, leaderboard at the end when it's all said and done. And you can do that by direct messaging me or the podcast, uh, or even just replying to the episode when it's put on Twitter as well. So that's pretty much the round out of it at this moment, Max. And I can probably throw to our week one results of all those uh, grand total of 284 votes that got compiled from all of these guys plus yourself and I, Max. Yes, real quick, before you do, I'll also say another method which you can uh, submit your votes is through a review of our podcast, Five Stars. <laughs> if, you haven't, if you haven't done so yet, 
if you if you give it less than five stars, then no, it won't count. It's, but it will count if you do. It's been a bit of a mess for me to track it all so far, but I am more than happy to add one more dimension <laughs> to for me to check if it is in the way of a five star review on iTunes. I love that suggestion, Max. But I'll throw to it right now. We have Kelly Oubre leading with eighty one points. Devin Booker seventy eight. Frank Kaminsky fifty four. Aaron Baines, 32, Ricky Rubio, 20, Javon Carter, 16, and Tyler Johnson was the last Suns player to get votes in week one, which was the first three games off the top of my head, Max. Few people were surprised. He had four votes, I should say. Few people were surprised that Carter was so low when I shared the votes on Twitter. I think we might see that jump up this week, and that's just going to be the nature of when guys uh, play well and, and which games we're actually counting to which week, Max. But we should probably jump to our own votes to get uh, the listeners starting to think about it. And the last thing I'll say is with that Google Doc, I may use that in future for people to do their votes themselves if things get a little bit out of hand, Max. But for now, Ooh. I'll run everything uh, until we get a little bit of consistency going through with it, Max. Alrighty, I like it. Thank you, David, for handling all this. You do a lot of work, and I just talk. So, thank you. <laughs> so let's let's go from uh, lowest to highest this time. We reversed the order because last time we went highest to lowest. I like it. I like it. Um, I'm going to start with number five. My number five is Ubre. Mm-hmm. I think Ubre has been pretty decent. You know, he's you know he didn't shoot very well in the Utah game, but I think overall he's doing what he does. He brings the energy. He uh, had an awesome dunk in the Utah game. Obviously, he's doing what he needs to do. He's been awesome. Uh, honorable mention to Dario Saric. He was awesome in one of the games. He barely played in the other one. Uh, it's going to be funny with how we go with these, Max, because I think you and I are going to be opposites like we often are mm. uh, when, when these things come up that we haven't talked about previously. Uh, one small correction, because there was some confusion about this. Max is giving one star or one vote to Kelly Oubre, not oh, yeah, five, yeah, yeah. Yes. just to be very, very clear, because there was some people that sent the reverse order this week. Uh, but I went Dario Saric, and I left Kelly Oubre, the current leader, <laughs> out of my votes altogether. And I don't need to explain anymore because I think you wrapped up both of their games pretty perfectly. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. It just depends on whether you went for the baseline consistency or the guy who had the really good game. Yep. Uh, Number two, speaking of a guy who had a very good game, I have Javon Carter getting two for me. He was incredible in the Utah game. He was the reason we were in it. He was kind of a no-show in the Golden State game. Didn't matter as much. But still, the fourth best player out of those two games is pretty good. Yep, I actually went Ricky Rubio for two votes this week. Okay. Uh, he had the near triple-double, as I said before, against Utah, and then was pretty solid hitting open shots with 14 points and seven assists in the Golden State game. But yeah, he was just the baseline guy for me that I've snuck in there for two votes as well. Okay, how about you give your uh, three? Javon Carter. I thought he deserved three purely for what he did in that Utah game. The bench wasn't very good at all against Golden State because they didn't have to be, I suppose, Max. But yeah, I put a lot of weight into that surprise game, even though the Suns ended up losing that one because I thought if we were going game to game, as you alluded to before, I probably would have given five votes to Carter for that single game. So that's why he sits at three for the week for me, Max. It will not surprise you that I have Ruby at three. We have once again just transposed our players. Uh, Yeah, I think it's the same exact thing here. Uh, You have the more weight in the one game, which, you know, there's some arguments for that because it matters more to try to, you know, win one game. But I just thought Ruby was more consistent across the two. So I had him at number three. I will move on to my number four. I I know who our top two are, David. I don't know which order you have them in. Drum roll. Uh, I had Baines number four. Um, You really could go either way here for me. They've both been incredible. 
uh, Aaron Baines, his stat line. When you read his stat line off uh, in the recap, I actually just had a giant cheese grin <laughs> on my face. It was so awesome. Uh, love Aaron Baines. He was amazing. Yep, and you could have them either way, and we do have them either way, Max. I have gone Devin Booker mm. for, and much like last week, I thought Aaron Baines uh, had the best game in the Suns one win for the week and also played very well in the other one as well. So I've given Baines my five votes for the week, Max. Yeah, you know, I thought about this a decent amount. I went Devin Booker as the five-point guy for this reason. When, and I know that we're crazy, uh, I called it battered Suns fans on Twitter, but the fact that I kind of got scared that Golden State was going to come back and, and, and tie the game yep. on us. Uh, Devin Booker was the one who stopped it. He really did. He was incredible in that fourth quarter. And again, it looked like a blowout, but I actually got nervous about. Uh, he's just, he's just man, he's really good. He's gotten, as you said, his stats up to where his true shooting is where it was. His three-point shooting at 43%. Um, I think that, you know, part of this is, I think, just me projecting. I think Devin Booker is about to go on a roll here. I want to be out in front of it, but uh, I also think he was the best two player, uh, best player in those two games. Yep, I can't deny that. Uh, maybe my Aussie bias coming in a little bit for Aaron Baines <laughs> with giving him the five votes. But there we go. Week two done. Hopefully, we clarified and encouraged a few more people to jump on board because you know the more votes, Max, I think we're going to get a really even spread uh, of opinions on this one, and it's going to be again. We said it in the first week. Maybe not surprising who ends up winning the overall thing, but I think it's really going to be a great view into over the whole season who the most you know, important second, third, and fourth best players are on this team because we've had some pretty varied results so far. All right, David, from one segment you invented to another one you invented. Let's go to Did You Know. <laughs> Max, we talked last week about how it was my birthday at the time of recording, but not yet the 28th of October where you were. Well, unfortunately, by the time you and most of the listeners hit the 28th in the U.S., News surfaced of the passing of Al Bianchi, a one-time assistant coach and scout for the Phoenix Suns. So Max, did you know, despite the Suns never winning a title in the NBA, a championship ring with the Suns name on it actually does exist? Wow, I definitely didn't know that. We will touch on that again in a little bit for you and the listeners who might be unaware. But for now, a quick look at Bianchi's illustrious career in the NBA. He went 18 overall in the 1954 NBA draft to the Minneapolis Lakers, but played his entire career with one franchise after being sold in 1956. His first seven seasons with the Syracuse Nationals before they turned into what we now know as the Philadelphia 76ers, where Al played three more seasons. His career wasn't a dominant one, averaging just 8.1 points, 2.5 boards, and 2.2 assists. Now, Max, I'm not going to put you under the pump for this segment very much this week and instead keep the focus on Al. But for a point guard slash shooting guard who carved out 10 years in the NBA, what would you have guessed his career field goal percentage was? I know back in the day they were very, very bad. Uh, I'm going to say 40. It was even worse, 37.4% wow. with a one-season high of just 42.4 in 1962. Apparently, Bianchi was one of the last guys in the NBA to shoot the two-handed set shot. Not that effective, it seems, Max. A quick side note, though. With a rough 36.1% start to the season of his own, Ricky Rubio isn't too far in front of Al in what is currently a nine-year career where he sits at 38. 
38.8 compared to Al's 37.4 from the field. But back to Al Bianchi and his transition from playing to coaching where the year is 1967. And guys, what episode are we up to? That's right, 67. Mm. He was tapped on the shoulder to coach the new franchise Seattle Supersonics in his first small link to the Phoenix Suns, who of course started their own franchise just one year later in the expanding NBA. He went on to coach the Sonics for a few years, then moved to the ABA where he coaches the Washington Caps and Virginia Squires. In 76 though, he returned to the NBA and joined none other than our Phoenix Suns as an assistant coach in perhaps our most famous season, Max. A season that gives perhaps the most famous Al Bianchi story. The Suns shared this story again this week to remember Al and also shout out to our friend of the pod, Scott Howard, who first put this on my radar. Max, we have talked about head coach of that team, John McLeod and the Sunderella Suns of 1976, who made it to the NBA Finals quite a bit in this segment before. We've even delved into what many call the greatest game ever played, Game 5 of the 1976 Finals. Long story short, therefore, we don't need to run over the heartbreak of that game for Suns fans and all the other crazy things that happened to lead to a three-overtime thriller. Listeners, if you aren't aware of that game, firstly, you should be ashamed. But secondly, (laughs) take five minutes after the podcast to get familiar with what went down in that one. For now... All you need to know is the name Ricky Powers, the NBA referee at the center of the most controversial moment of that game. Ricky Powers was actually assaulted by a Suns fan for not giving a Suns technical free throw when Boston tried to call a timeout without having one at their disposal. And this was before the game was even over that he got into the run-in with the fan. (laughs) Suns players and coaches were the ones who got the fan off powers, many of which joke it was just so they could get the game back going. And they even questioned whether they did the right thing all these years later and whether they should have just let the fan go for it. But fast forward through Max and a small spoiler alert, the Suns lost. But that ring I mentioned up top for Did You Know This Week, when Al believed they should have won Game 5 and therefore taken home court in Game 6 to win the title. So he had a jeweler friend of his make a ring just for him with a a giant turquoise stone in the center. And it says two little things on it, Max. Number one, Phoenix Suns 1975-76 NBA champs on the outside. And number two on the inside, and I quote, Fuck you, Ricky Powers. Wow. Wow, that's amazing. (laughs) (laughs) That's not a bad end to the segment, Max. But before we do talk a little bit more about the Suns and when the right time might be to mention the P word in the West, I wanted to round out Al's career in the NBA with a great tidbit I found in the New York Times article of his life. Bianchi moved from coaching into front office duties, mainly with the Knicks, where he led a mini revival for that franchise in 1987, the year I happened to be born, Max. Mm. I want to read this quick excerpt from the article and leave you and the listeners with some of the similarities to the Suns team we are currently watching. And here it goes. The Knicks had won only 24 games in 86-87, season under coach Hubie Brown. Bianchi replaced Hill with Provident coach Rick Pitino, who installed a pressing defense, a run-and-gun offense, with an emphasis on three-point shots. Bianchi didn't attempt to keep Bernard King, the Knicks' once prolific scorer, from signing to the Washington Bullets at the outset of the 87-88 season. 
when he was returning from a severe knee injury. Patino felt that King wouldn't fit into his system. Can you think who that might allude to, Max? But King made a remarkable comeback with the Bullets, but the Knicks made progress in their own right, led by Patrick Ewing at center and point guard Mark Jackson, whom Bianchi drafted out of St. John's. But the end of the article, they won 38 games that season, though they were eliminated in the first round of the playoffs. And that's it, Max. A nice segue into discussing the Suns a little bit more, but in the context of the current West outlook. If the Suns ever win a title with Devin Booker, I'm definitely getting a ring with uh, a similar message on it to somebody. I'm not sure who yet. <laughs> I'm not sure who. Maybe Chris Hansen. We'll see. <laughs> Fuck you, Chris Hansen. <laughs> After Devin Booker drains a three to win the, the title. He's 7-3, no less. <laughs> <laughs> the first time. Okay, let's go on to our general NBA thing, which we're going to have a Suns flavor to it. We're not going to lie. We're obsessed right now. Yep. Um, okay, so the Western Conference we'll start with. David, here's what I want to ask you. I'm going to sort the top eight teams in the conference by point differential. Ooh, okay. I'm going to ask you which of these teams you think are locks to make the playoffs, which you think are total pretenders, and which you think are, you know, on, on the borderline, Okay. Okay, yep, do it. All right, so here's the order from one to eight. The Los Angeles Lakers, the Phoenix Suns, the Utah Jazz, the LA Clippers, the Dallas Mavericks, the Minnesota Timberwolves, the San Antonio Spurs, and the Oklahoma City Thunder, shockingly. Interesting. I would say, ooh, you might need to go Let's one. Go locks. Let's go locks first. Yeah, so run, run through one by one and I'll give you my answer. The Los Angeles Lakers. Lock. Phoenix Suns. On the bubble. Utah Jazz. Lock. LA Clippers. Lock. Dallas Mavericks. On the bubble. Minnesota Timberwolves. Gotta say on the bubble, big surprise, but they're, they're in that group. San Antonio Spurs. I wouldn't quite say lock. I'm not sure what the third category you gave me there, but I... It know. was like pretender, so you're, you're probably going to be on the bubble then. Yep, on the bubble. Oklahoma City. I say pretender, just what we said last week. I think uh, Presti guts the team at some point, no matter how well they're playing. And they're benefiting from the whole uh, point differential is really influenced by one game at this point, and they crush Golden State. Yeah. So I think that's part yep. of it. But yeah, no, I agree with all those. So I think it's really interesting because... The team that didn't mention, you know, the, the Blazers, the Rockets, and the Nuggets are not there. The Nuggets actually have a negative point differential. Mm. Um, I don't think the Nuggets are not going to make the playoffs or anything, but I think that maybe they're not as good as we thought. It's going to be a really interesting conference. Yeah, I looked at the standings. I think the Mavs are a bit of a surprise. Uh, I think the Wolves are a bit of a surprise. Shout out shout out to Towns. Uh, you know, there was obviously the fight with Joel Embiid that has put Embiid out for, for the Phoenix game. So thanks to Carl Anthony Towns for that one. But he's got 27, 11 and a half boards, four assists, 2.5 steals, 1.8 blocks, or maybe the other way around how I've got that. 54% from the field and 56% from three. So whether that's sustainable or not, I'm not too sure. But he has got them playing very, very well. Warriors may be a bit of a negative surprise. I think mm. watching that Suns game, I think maybe we were too kind and too scared to write them off. But, you know, I think that's a bit of an omission yep. in itself, keeping the theme of this podcast is you just, you know, role players of past years have been able to slot in and just do the bare minimum. And that's why the luxury that they've had. Whereas this year, you know, maybe we thought guys like Corley Stein, Burks, we're going to be able to, you know, add enough. But, you know, there's just too much of a load on those guys at the moment. Everyone's faltering under that pressure. And obviously with Curry going out, that's going to mean very bad things. 
Pelicans, bit of a surprise. I think they're kind of showing the, the what we talked about with Monty and, and Aiton there at the top of the episode. You know, we've adjusted on the fly and done pretty well. I think they've probably adjusted quite negatively to losing Z- Zion right, you know, before the season started. Uh, and the Kings, how long until Igor has that job, Max? Yeah, I mean, it's not going to be very long. They're 0-5, David, and they've looked... They have a <laughs> minus 17-point differential. They are not a good wow. team, David. And that's... I actually am glad you brought them up. I want to transfer into my, my next point on this because... So I got you to say the Lakers, the Jazz, the Clippers... And uh, that's it for your lock so far. Yep. Yep. I want to go through some of the teams that I didn't mention, see who you saw as lock. So do you think the Blazers are locked? Uh, I do not. The Rockets? Yes. The Nuggets? Yes. Okay. That's that, The rest of them aren't. So that means what? You have five locks right now. Yep, which is very interesting. It is interesting. And of the borderline teams we thought might be better than the Suns, I, I had the Kings in the playoffs. The Kings aren't making the playoffs, everybody. Nope. Uh, so they're nope. out. Uh, the Warriors, we had them in the playoffs. I think both of us, they're out. Yep. The Blazers, they're you know they're still three and two. They're fine. They have a point eight differential. They're fine. I think they're gonna be fine. Uh, the Thunder are one and four despite being eight somehow in point differential. So I guess other than us, the Wolves, the Mavericks, and maybe the Spurs, everyone's kind of disappointed. Yep. Or at least just kind of been where they're supposed to be. So I guess I, I want to ask you this, David. After those locks, so you have the five locks, who do you feel the best about kind of in order? Like, what's the next one that you feel the best about? This is hilarious because I pretty much had a similar question for you based on... Okay, so let's both do it. Our, on our, you know, our preseason thing, you know, I think we were being very glass half full in that episode and I kind of put Phoenix in the, the, the seven non-playoff teams. I think I even said, like, you know, this could go any way from ninth all the way to 15th based on you know luck and what happens with certain teams but looking at this i think we kind of you know things change around a little bit and phoenix almost jump up into a different classification than what we had in that preseason. so mm-hmm. i mean my question was what percentage chance did you give them before and now and and then who's in our group which is very much what you're alluding to i think you know i you know you've got uh, the Mavs, just looking at it, going over what you mentioned, the Mavs, the Wolves, the Blazers, the Spurs, um, and then everyone else looks pretty bad right now. I'd put the Suns with that group. Uh, how you outlined it, I think you were giving maybe three open spots at the moment amongst that group. Um, you know, Maybe it's the, the Suns fan in me. I think we still fall outside of the top eight, but... Uh, we're in the conversation a lot more than I thought we were going to be, which is probably the the big point that I wanted to make here, Max. Yeah, I agree. I think if I'm ranking, so I have the same five locks as you. Yep. Uh, the Lakers, the Jazz, the Clippers, uh, the the Rockets, and the Nuggets. Yep. I think if I had to bet my life on all this, I'd probably take the Spurs next, just because mm-hmm. of the track record. Yep. Blazers after that because of Damian Lillard, that that whole thing. Yep. Um, probably Dallas. Dallas has looked really, really good, David. I'm not sure how much you watch of them. Um, they're just they're just, they have a lot more talent than we thought they had behind Luca and Porzingis and uh, Luca and Porzingis. Porzingis has been a little bit questionable defensive or offensively, but incredible defensively. And then Luca's taken a step. Yeah, his percentages are pretty bad. I think like 43 and 33 from three at the moment. But he's playing, you know, 31 and a half minutes a game and still putting up 22. 7.8 and 3.3 assists, which is way up on anything he's ever done um, mm-hmm. in his career. So yeah, they're an encouraging one. But the Suns are right with them right now. You know, yes. I don't want to be too negative. I think that the big thing is probably before I have a you know had a five to ten percent chance because I really saw eight 
almost locks and then just this weird mishmash of seven teams that could go either way in the preseason. Now I probably put it at, you know, 33% or something like that. And the reason being the Suns are very much in this group and the way that things have shaken out, there looks like there could be, you know, three or four playoff spots available that I didn't expect to be so when the season started. That's absolutely the right way to look at this. Like The, the window has opened up for the Suns. They have an absolutely great chance of getting there. Uh, the one team I wanted to mention, because you talked about them earlier, I haven't gotten to talk about them yet, the Minnesota Timberwolves, yep. who were kind of a shock to start the season. They started 3-0. Uh, Carl Anthony Towns is incredible. I mean, there's no hating on him. He's a superstar. Uh, he's even better than he was before. He could easily carry them to the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Um, Andrew Wiggins has gotten some hype as someone who has had a better season than past. Uh, no, not really. <laughs> he, he had some good clutch moments, but if you look at his stats, they're just as bad. Uh, he's still sub-50 true shooting, Yep, uh, which is terrible. It's just Andrew Wiggins is not going to be good. It's time to give up on him. And if that's your second-best player... Um, I I just don't think they're going to be sustainable. The Suns are just... It's weird to say this about the Suns compared to any other team, but they just have a much deeper, better roster yeah. than the Timberwolves have. Um, so, yeah, I think that... Yeah, I'm not gonna, I'm not ready to declare that the Suns are going to make the playoffs or anything. I think that, you know, it's, it's so premature to say that, but it's definitely... Uh, I would have said before this season that they had a 5% chance. Now it's looking more like, yeah, like you said, 33%, 40%. Like they're, they're one of the teams in the mix and you know what else could we have asked for yeah and that's a combination of them looking a hell of a lot more competent than what we expected as well as the spots actually opening up because i think what we expected is that we were going to have a really good competent team but the the spots might not be there obviously it's very early in the season and things change which is why we're a little bit apprehensive to making any you know grand proclamations right now but that combo of them looking better which we hoped as well as the spots maybe being there, definitely gives us a little bit of positivity. And that's what makes this homestand coming up so important. But, you know, on the Wolves, watch these next two games without Carl anthony Towns. uh, And you'll see, I guess, what that supporting cast is like and what Andrew Wiggins is like. And now that I've said that, he'll probably have a 50-burger or something and make me look incredibly stupid, Max. But, yeah, I'm not expecting that team to look very, very good without Towns for the next two games. Yeah, I wouldn't worry too much about it. <laughs> All right, should we move to the East, David? Yes, which is a little bit depressing, but in the in the interests of you know keeping the general NBA segment rolling and then finishing up this podcast, we should touch a little bit on what maybe has surprised us and, and not surprised us from the Eastern Conference, Max. I want to start with actually one game that happened tonight, and it's a really terrible game that I hope no one here had to watch. <laughs> it was the uh, Indiana Pacers 102, Cleveland Cavaliers 95. David, do you know why I'm talking about this game right now? I do not. Uh, you know, we keep a sudden focus on this podcast. Kevin Love had 22 points, 17 rebounds, 4 assists, and a steal. Ooh. He shot 5-11 from 3. He had 7-16 field goals. He played a good game. He's been good uh, a lot this season, David. Uh, you and I have both. Yeah, I had his name written down, Max. Just as, like, you know, Blake Griffin hasn't started the season, but, you know, they're the two names that we keep talking about, and I guess that's what you're probably going to allude to with the Suns tie-in. We here. talked a lot about how if the Suns had a good season and if the Cavs uh, didn't have a good season, but Kevin Love did... 
how that would be a natural trading partner, given the fact that uh, mm-hmm. James Jones and him have a relationship. Uh, I'd say five games in, we're definitely headed that way, David. Yep. Uh, just something to monitor here. I think that, you know, even more now that we know that the uh, big white guy shooting thing is, is the MO, <laughs> uh, <laughs> it makes a lot of sense, David. I could see this trade happening. Tyler Johnson seems expendable now. With the uh, rise of Javon Carter and, you know, possibly Ty Jerome coming back, that's a, it's a contract piece. I don't know, David. I think that the likelihood of the Kevin Love trade went from, you know, something to monitor to, oh, man, this could happen. Yeah, and I think a lot of listeners probably agree, and then there might be some that go, oh, we've, you know, we've got Dario Saric, we're 3-2. and two. Like, what are, you th- what are you thinking? That contract's terrible. But uh, that would be a major talent upgrade. And depending on what the trade actually ends up looking like, I would probably be a supporter of it. Uh, and I think with this positive start, the Suns front office and more importantly, ownership would probably be supporting any kind of move that gets them closer to the playoffs after this long, long drought that we're on. What's TJ Warren's stat line in that game, Max? Are you asking me because you saw it and you want me to talk about it? or do you? Are you I, no, I still, I still haven't looked. Okay, he played 28 minutes, David. He started. He was one for eight from the field, zero for two from three. He had three points, three fouls. No blocks, no steals, three rebounds, zero assists, David. Wow. <laughs> yeah. um, listen, I don't want to stampede all over uh, TJ Warren. We didn't want him on the Suns anymore. He didn't fit on our team anymore. Uh, I still think he could be a good six man somewhere. Uh, as you made up the point on, on Twitter and as I addressed at the time, uh, the, the parading ar- uh, around about the preseason game was very stupid. Yep. And that's really the only point that I wanted to make. I actually wish him all the best. And, you know, I said that when he left, but uh, it was more a point, And my tweet during the week was more a point to all of those that were making those statements about the Suns giving him away. Because he has, I believe, based on what you just said, now played probably closer to 160-ish minutes in the NBA to date. And I don't believe you said he hit a three or got an assist tonight. So that's still... Uh, two threes and one assist or vice versa off the top of my head for the whole season, Max. TJ Warren does one thing very, very well. He scores uh, against, you know, not that great of NBA players. That's what he does well. He should be a sixth man. Yep. Uh, eventually he'll find that role for himself and everything will be fine. But all the people killing the Suns for uh, letting go of TJ Warren, uh, that looks dumb right now, David, because would you want T.J. Warren on this particular team with the Suns right now? I, I don't think I would. No, that's why we're all for the move, because I think things are looking a lot better at the moment. But we should move on from that. I'm not sure if you want to touch on anything else. I think as expected at the top, the Sixers, the Raps, the Celtics, as expected at the bottom, the Wizards and the Knicks. You brought up the Pacers. I think them, the Nets, and the Bulls, we both kind of put into a little group that would be fighting for the bottom playoff spots, and they've all been maybe a little bit more disappointing than expected, especially, I guess, the Pacers get that win tonight over the Cavs. But, you know, um, yeah, that's a tough one. Charlotte, they've benched all their vets, which is a great move. Uh, They're all coming off the bench, Batum, Williams, MKG, and they're playing all the kids in the starting lineup. And I've only caught a little bit of them, but they kind of look fun, Max. They're feisty. They're feisty. They're a lot more fun than I thought they were going to be, which I think is like... I think there's two stories in the East, and I wanted to, I'll, I'll start with the uh, the one you just mentioned, which is kind of like the bottom of the East is not as bad as we thought it was going to be, mm-hmm. and the what we thought was the middle of the East might be worse. Uh, the Bulls are bad, apparently. Mm. The uh, the Pistons are a little shaky. The Hawks, you know, they're fine. They're they're a little shaky. The Nets, oh, the Nets beat the Houston Rockets tonight, which is interesting. 
But uh, they've looked a little shaky so far. Uh, and like, like you said, the Hornets have looked better. The Cavs yep. have been somewhat okay. Um, so, you know, I think there's a little more of a uh, a larger middle class in the East than we thought. Less of a, you know, a clear bad tier. Uh, but the thing that makes him is more interesting to me because it's, you know, the better teams is uh, Pascal Siakam looks ridiculous, David. Better than I ever thought he was going to be. I, I knew he was great in a lot of ways. I did not realize he was... Uh, he was quite the offensive player he is, David. Oh, the points per game that he's taken a leap to, I don't think anyone could have seen coming. Even the, you know, staunchest rap fans and, and Pascal fans, you know, I definitely didn't, you know, I was a little bit of a doubter, particularly when he got that contract. I thought it could go bad, but they obviously had faith and he's he's repaying that right now. He looks absolutely ridiculous and, and gives them something to really tie themselves to after Kawhi left and and they took that title so yeah they're not going anywhere they're going to be right up there and you know might be another messiah move away from being a a real contender again at the top of the east yeah i think so that's one half of my take here i think the raptors are have inched themselves into like pseudo contender east status we'll see if it continues i think the heat are the other team that are kind of there yes uh they looked great without jimmy butler now jimmy butler's back uh bam Adebayo has taken the leap a lot of us expected that he would take uh tyler hero is really good Already, he's fun. Uh, he's 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 Devin Bookerish. I'm not the only one to say that, but it's true. He's a little Devin Bookerish. Uh, the Heat are fun, man. I think that the uh, I think the East is going to be stronger at the top than we thought, and then a little more uh, dispersed. Uh, lower on than we thought. Yeah, we kind of predicted this. We saw like one open home court. Uh, playoff spot in the east available and mm-hmm. both kind of thought Miami were going to be one of the teams that would look to take that and they've definitely looked very good to start the season yeah the Cavs you mentioned before have looked a bit plucky uh the Hawks even looked kind of plucky until Trey went down which absolutely yeah. sucks they're going to be terrible while mm-hmm. while Trey's not on so by the time he comes back their record could be significantly worse than the you know hovering around 500 that they are right now but yeah, anything else surprise you from the East, Max? There's not a lot there for me to be perfectly honest. I've kind of, you know, got out what I what I'd seen so far from the East. You know, there is one more thing, but I want to save it because it's uh, my first seven seconds or less question for you. Well, let's jump right in there. Let's do it. Seven seconds or less is the segment where one of us asks the other three questions, for which the other has seven seconds or less to answer and has not prepared. David, are you ready? Always. First question, uh, I alluded to this. The Milwaukee Bucks have been a little bit disappointing so far. I'm not going to rule them out. They've played four games. Uh, but I have to ask you, David, and this is going to be a theme, would you change your prediction that the Milwaukee Bucks are going to win the Eastern Conference and the Finals? That is a very good question. The Sixers look good. The Raps look very good, mm-hmm. as you said. Even the Celtics look good compared to what I gave them credit for. I think Giannis cream eventually rises to the top here, but when you throw these questions out or we do predictions, I always kind of go weight of numbers. And I think there's more teams there uh, that even once the bucks work it out, you know, weight of numbers suggests one of those teams might still hold them off. So I'm going to, I'm going to change. Yep, I am too. I'm changing to Philly. They look like a, a world beater, David. They're stacked. They're so good. Uh, all right. Next question. Similar. Uh, do you change your prediction on who wins the Western Conference, David? No. I was on the Rockets, I believe, off the top of my head, and I still think even with Harden shooting really badly at the moment, which is going to change, and therefore uh, I'm riding all that one till the end of the season until further notice, Max. 
All right. We talked about this a little bit earlier. You gave an answer, but I'm going to really put you on it now. We both predicted the Suns would not make the playoffs, David. I'm throwing you on the spot here. Do the Suns make the playoffs? I'm going to catch so much hate for this, but I still say no. And I'd say it's (laughs) 50% the Suns fan in me that just doesn't believe it until I see it. I talk about it on this pod all the time. I'm very much a, I got to see things kind of guy. I'm not smart enough to predict a lot of these things as maybe some other people are or positive enough perhaps. (laughs) But I also think it's a very long season. And whilst this start has been very fun, um, you know, I think we're going to hit some bumps along the way. Injuries, you know, knock on wood. Hopefully that doesn't happen. But, you know, I think it throws some challenges up and, and we'll maybe just be outside looking in at the end of the season, Max. David, I agree with you. I'm not quite ready to say the Suns are going to make the playoffs. My current prediction now is that we're going to, on the last night of the season, miss the playoffs on some heartbreak. Oh, man. That just seems like what would happen, right? That's the Suns. Don't do it to us, please. (laughs) I will say, though, Devin Booker is going to make the All-Star game. Do you agree with that? Yeah, well, I think we didn't really touch on that, but playoffs have opened up a little bit, and I think spots have opened up a little bit with injuries and, and things as well. So, yeah, maybe that'll be the first thing that we can get happy about before the playoff stuff gets real serious. Yep, let's hope so. But uh, that's it for us. Please, as always, rate, review, and subscribe. We really appreciate it. You can follow me uh, at MaximCC11 on Twitter. You can follow David at the Four Point play david any reviews we hit our two goals max we have over 50 reviews now and over 105 stars on itunes and i can't thank everybody listening who has done that for us and help us achieve that enough uh if you haven't feel free to do so because as we're about to right now we will happily uh, bring you up on the pod. We got our first review from Israel, from Eric's son, who actually reached out to me, and I had to switch my iTunes over to Israel to even get the review. So Ooh. Eric's son said, all the way from Israel, usually I'm not listening to the pod through iTunes, but I just had to log on to write a review. I absolutely love this pod, and I think it is the best one out of all the other Suns pods around. Thanks for your hard work. Hoping to hear some playoff episodes all the way from Israel Go Suns. And then in the US, Max, we got uh, Lover of This App 2013, which sounds like you made up another burner account, by the way. (laughs) Uh, The best Suns podcast out there. Only downside is the wait between shows. Great takes, great segments to look forward to in every pod. Suns might be finally putting a product worthy of the seven seconds or less podcast, which will probably make it that much better. Keep it coming, guys. And Stevie PF22, who I believe is Stephen Freeman on Twitter for anyone who wants to follow him, said, if you don't like this, you don't like NBA basketball. Consistently fantastic and evolving in the right direction, a valuable part of the Suns and NBA community. And thank you especially to those guys, but to everyone who has rated the pod recently, Max. Uh, As one of the reviews alluded to, we may be back next week. We may not. We always say on this pod, life stuff can get in the way for some of us both times. Uh, But other than that, I already mentioned the upcoming games in the recap. So go Suns, Max. Yeah, life stuff may be getting in the way this week. I am getting married next weekend, David. Um, We'll see. I'm going to, if the Suns play very well against the next three opponents, I'm going to try to sneak in there for the podcast. (laughs) Don't, don't, no one listening to my fiance, please. Uh, I'm going to try to sneak but uh there's a chance i will not uh possibly david will be in with the guests possibly david will be in with me we'll see but uh if we have to take a two-week break we apologize for the wait uh but we will definitely be back 
uh, after all. I wasn't going to mention it, but you did. So uh, congrats on the upcoming celebration, Max. And I just love the small window you provided to the fact that uh, we're so hell-bent on this podcast that you might actually sneak one in if the Suns are winning, even though you have a very big moment coming up that's very busy for anyone who has done that before. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, uh, part of the uh, symptoms of being an obsessed Suns fan are uh, hurting your regular life. So. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everybody.